This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY dash giving. So we're back in Philippians tonight, chapter 3. We had our little diversion last week back into Acts chapter 2, covered some more of the, well, not just the history, but the very beginnings of the New Testament church. And we say that, of course, in its broadest, most ultimate sense, the body of Christ. And now we're back into the letters of the apostles, specifically Philippians chapter 3. And where we left off was in the fourth paragraph, beginning in about verse 12, where Paul says, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I might apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. And he goes on to explain, brethren, I count not myself to have, to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And so the bulk of the lesson two weeks ago was on what he was communicating here. It was a, it's a message of don't give up. It's a message of just because you, you perhaps have tried the Christian life and maybe you failed in it sometime before, or you got discouraged in the midst of it, or and maybe not even in the sense of in the entire Christian life, but you 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 aspired to a closer walk with God, you aspired to overcoming a particular sin or a particular temptation, and you maybe missed the mark, you fell off the wagon or jumped off the wagon for that matter. That's usually how it goes. It's always a deliberate choice. It's never an accident. What he's making clear here is that you shouldn't just Take your bat and your ball and go home and quit on God and quit on the Christian life. You try again, and then you try again, and then you try again, and then you try again until you hit the mark and then until you hit the bullseye. And then and then you keep doing it. It's not even a case of you stop being a Christian once you have attained to a certain level, whatever that level might even be, if you can even conceptualize it as levels, because really it's just a life altogether. Okay? You keep trying, you keep striving, and you keep doing it because of the work that God has begun in you in Christ Jesus, because you have already believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've already confessed him as Lord and Savior, and so you try, try again, and you try, try again, and the more you do, the better you get at it, and the better you get at it, because Christianity is a practice, isn't it? We talk about practicing a religion, you talk to a Jew, they're either a practicing Jew or a non-practicing Jew. You talk to a Muslim or a Buddhist or, or, or whatever a person might, uh, whatever label, whatever religious label or religion that they might aspire to be a part of, they always refer to it in the practical sense. I practice or I don't practice. Well, Christianity is no different in that regard. Well, the difference is that we have the truth and we actually let it inform our life. And that becomes the evidence of what we are in Christ. So works are a part of it. They're just not a part of salvation. They come as a result of salvation. And so that's why we continue to have this kind of doggedness and this persistence and even, you can even call it tenacity because it's not like it's an easy road. Now there's some ease to it. So I'm not gonna try to make it sound like it's, 
it's all an uphill slog, okay? It's not. There's periods of, of ease and there's periods of rest, but there's also periods of trial in the midst of this thing because we have an enemy, don't we? And he didn't just roll over when you confessed Jesus Christ. He didn't, he, he didn't freak out, panic, and pack his bags and leave. He is going to oppose you. He is going to resist you. He is going to try to get you to stop and to quit and to go back to the old life that Jesus died to save us from. But here he says, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark. I press toward the mark. And one of the images that comes to mind on this, it's not precisely according to what Paul is saying here, but fits in there very neatly with it, is, you know, if you've ever watched, uh, if you've ever watched a chick trying to get out of its egg, you know, when a bird, when a, when a newborn, not newborn, but when, it, when a bird is trying to first break out of its shell and, and, and hatch into the world, you're never, ever supposed to help one of them do it, ever because you end up destroying its ability to develop this. They have to, they have to fight their way out of that shell themselves in order to, to develop the strength that they're going to need to survive, to move, to eventually fly, and then to live, and so on. So you're never supposed to help a bird out of its shell, a chick out of its shell, whatever type of bird it is. And it's a lot of times it can be exactly the same way in the Christian life. You're trying to overcome something in your life. So, well, I need help. Okay, well, the kind of help that you need comes from the Holy Ghost. And, and well, you need, I need help from my brothers and sisters. Okay, well, the kind of help that you need from your brothers and sisters is usually prayer. And they need to be on your side. And they need to be positive. And they need to believe in you. And they can even express some of that stuff. But ultimately, you have to break that shell yourself. You have got to overcome the thing yourself. And you do it by the power of God, by the Holy Ghost. But you have to believe that you can. And of course, there's not a Christian that was ever born again into this world that was not equipped to overcome. We have that in the Holy Ghost. And that ties back to our Bible study from last week, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was given to the church on the day of Pentecost. And, and that very first manifestation of the power of the Holy Ghost and his miraculous presence in people's lives uh, was presented. And, and so all of that goes together. His presence, his power, his comfort, he, he enables us, empowers us. So let's move on. Next paragraph begins in chapter four in verse 15. Paul says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. Well, what minded? Well, what he was just talking about in the previous paragraph about striving for the mark and forgetting those things that are behind us and reaching forth unto those things that are before and apprehending Christ and apprehending that for which we are apprehended by him. He says, let us therefore, as many as be perfect, and he's talking about complete, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let, the, let us mind the same things. What's he saying here? That's the whole paragraph there, two verses, 15 and 16. Well, it's a growth process. That's what he's saying. There's two things that he's bringing up in these two verses. Verse 15, he says, let us therefore as many as be perfect. And let's just sub the word complete into there so we don't think that he means absolutely without flaw of any kind whatsoever. Okay, that's not what he's saying. He says, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. 
And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. That's a promise. And that is something that you and I as Christians can take tremendous comfort in. Because sometimes Christians get beset with a certain kind of anxiety. Am I good enough anxiety? Am I, uh, am I walking worthy enough anxiety? Am I good enough anxiety? Am I acceptable to God type of anxiety? In my very early Christian years, I would get, uh, <laughs> there wasn't actual panic, okay, but this is just a colloquial term. We would, I would get rapture panic, you know. Oh my goodness, did the rapture happen and did I miss it, you know? And don't laugh at me because some of you have had this too, especially in your early Christian days, you know, when you were still trying to figure out how to walk at all in the spirit and you were doing more tripping and stumbling than you were walking. You were having to learn how to crawl in spiritual life. And so and you were doing things wrong and then you get blasted in a service, not because the preacher had your number, but because God was talking to you and the preacher didn't know anything about it. And so it, it, it's similar to that. It's It's that... It's that sometimes it comes from the devil and sometimes it just comes from our own human weakness and our own lack of belief, okay? He said here, if ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. So if there's some kind of shortcoming in your Christian life, then by one way or by another, God will reveal it to you if you are open to that kind of revelation. If you're open to it, he'll reveal it to you any number of ways, okay? One way he does it is in your reading of the Bible. And that's why we always push that. That's why we have that contest going on right now. And if, and if you're not up on that as far as what that's all about, we started it at the beginning of the year. First person in the church here to complete the Bible by the end of the year, go through the entire Bible, all 66 books, by the end of the year, first one gets a brand new Bible. And it's a very good one. It's a very nice one. It's not some cheap paperback with microscopic print that's going to make you go blind three months after you start trying to read it or make you need to get bifocals or trifocals or more, you know. It's not like this is going to be big and it's going to be heavy and it's going to be something like ironed calfskin, probably. I mean, this is going to be a nice piece of Bible, okay? And that's, so that's the contest that's going because we promote you reading your Bible. Well, I need someone to teach me. Okay, well, you might need someone to teach you some of the things, but you'll be amazed if you just set yourself to reading it book by book in whatever order that you do it. Just focus on one volume at a time and read the whole thing. You'll be amazed how much you already understand. Well, the these and the thou's throw me. So I'm going to read some other wacky jack um, uh, uh, interpretation or, or translation of it. Well, if you can, get your hands on a good King James, okay? Because you'll find that you'll also you'll learn how to understand that very, very quickly. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take long at all to get accustomed with to the style of English that's in there. And it's far more precise than any other version that you're going to get in the English language, okay? So what if I have a Spanish Bible? Well, I forget which one is the best one for that language, but I know that there's one out there. Anyway, we'll just leave that alone. He says that God will reveal it unto you. He'll reveal it in your own Bible reading. He'll reveal it sometimes in your prayers when the Spirit of God moves upon your heart and deals with your heart. And that's one reason why we also promote praying constantly, regularly, and for more than just two or three minutes at a time, and for more than just praying over your food. Some people never pray at all, except when they're saying, um, 
Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, amen. You know, that's that's not really a life of prayer. That's really not even a prayer life. Now, we ought to pray over our food, you know what I mean? We ought to pray for our food. A person that eats without being thankful, without being decidedly thankful for what they eat, does little better than the animals, because the animals, the beasts of the field, if you will, they just eat without thinking about it. That's just what they do. They have no law. They don't have to be mindful of that sort of thing. You know, but we who are under the curse, okay, if you go all the way back to Adam and all of that, we who are under the curse and have to make our living scratching it up out of the dirt what by one way or another, by the sweat of our brow, God told Adam, you know, we ought to be thankful for every good thing that we receive, but we ought to be praying all of the time because in prayer, especially when when your personal prayer life grows beyond just praying right before bed, maybe praying for a couple of minutes when you first get up, praying for your food, and it grows beyond just being a one-way communication because prayer, learning how to pray, that that there's a learning curve in there too, and there's a growth process in that too. You know, if you've ever listened to a small child praying, it's it's kind of comical to an adult because they're praying for stuff like, oh God, give me a million dollars, and oh God, uh, let the girl down the street like me. Or not like me because she's icky, you know, because that's little kids a lot of times and how they're thinking. And, uh, you know, their, their prayers are, they're, 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 I don't want to say childish because that has a negative connotation, okay? But their prayers are rudimentary and they're immature because they are rudimentary and immature and they're still growing. Well, it's the same way as adults when we're trying anything new. You always start out at the entry level of something and you blunder and fumble your way through it until you kind of find your balance and, and then you, you grow and you get better at it and then, your prayers aren't just one way anymore. It's not just you praying for enough money to pay the rent and you're throwing that up to heaven and hoping that it sticks. And then it start, It eventually becomes two-way as, as you grow in the grace and in the knowledge of God and you, you get an inkling of how to hear his voice and you, you recognize it as distinct from the voice of the world that you know would have you run in 50 different directions at once and wearing yourself out and panic-stricken and anxiety-racked and all of that other stuff as you learn to recognize the voice of God. And there's scripture to back that up then your prayers become more and more revealing even to you. And so he reveals things to you, one, in his word, two, in your prayer life, three, in the ministering of the word of God, which is the preaching and the teaching that we engage in here like four times a week. It's one reason why we have it so often, because there's no time to lose. Life can be long, but there's no guarantee that it's long, right? Man, that, that came out on Sunday morning. That was part of the whole message there about uh, Matthew's answering uh, answering Jesus' call the right way, and reacting to it the right way. He, he obeyed, and he did it instantly without delay and without excuses. He just got up and followed Jesus, just like Jesus said to do. And we have to react the same way when God comes by your life, whether it's the call to salvation because a person's been living in sin, or whether it's a call to a deeper walk with God, or whether it's a specific call upon a person's life to, to do something specific, whatever the specific will of God is in your life. So here in verse 15, it's a promise, and it's a very comforting promise because it eliminates those anxieties of, well, am I doing right or am I doing wrong? Am I doing good enough or am I not doing good enough? God will reveal it to you. Am I, do I have any sin in my life? God will reveal it to you. One way or another, he'll reveal it to you. And 
Will it be painful? Because that's our thinking a lot of times, right? It's kind of human nature to 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 do what we can to uh, minimize suffering, our suffering, and maximize comfort. And so you know, we like the easy way if we can get the easy way. And I understand that. I'm not even finding fault with that. Well, he'll reveal it in a way that you can understand. And so that depends on you. Are you open and receptive to the word and to the spirit? If yes, then he doesn't have to come along with a two by four and wonk you over the head with it to get your attention. And we mean that figuratively, of course, but you know, some people, it takes a disaster or a calamity to get their attention because they tend to be hard-headed. All right, well, so the person that then is doesn't require that to get their attention, they, they can sometimes be tempted to look down their noses upon those who are hard-headed. It's like, ha, 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 you're going through that. You, didn't, you shouldn't have to go through that. You should be more receptive to the Spirit and to the Word like I am. But here's the thing about people that are hard-headed. They get hit hard enough, so to speak, with circumstances that gets their attention. They also, once they get onto the right track, they tend to stay on that track. So... Nobody gets to look down their nose at anybody, okay? Because the person who's open and receptive may have to make the same adjustment 50 times before they finally stick with it. And the person that gets blasted over the head with the circumstance only has to make that adjustment once, and they never stray out of that path again. So it, it depends on the individual believer. I know we're getting kind of cerebral with this thing, but I think we're all adults. We can handle it, can't we? We want to be challenged in a Bible study, don't we? So he promises us, he reassures us here, God shall reveal even this unto you. He says, if ye, let us therefore as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, verse 16, he goes on. Whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. What's he saying here? Well, to what le whatever level, and I hate using that level because it almost makes it sound like the church is like the Freemasons or something, and you have like this hierarchy of ranks that you can achieve. That really isn't what it's like. Okay, the, 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 church, is, the church is structured, but it's not like going through a video game or being part of a secret society. I've leveled up. I'm level 62 now. So, what does that even mean? You know, what would that even mean in the Christian life? You know, because then that creates a sense of competition and that creates a sense and that creates an environment of carnality and all of that. It's like total opposite of the spiritual life. So it doesn't it's not really like that. Your walk with God is individual. And so, and Brother Bob, I think you've been saved something like 10 years, right? 10, 12 fish right thereabouts. You know, and and, uh, and and there are others here that haven't served God nearly as long as that. You know, maybe only a year in the faith, maybe only two. And there are others that have served God far longer. It's like not, neither one, the one who's newer in the faith or the one who's far advanced and much older in the faith, needs to really be assessing one another's spirituality. It's an individual walk. Judge ye yourself in your own place where you are, whereto ye have already attained, to use Paul's language right here. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, whatever level or to what, to what degree of closeness to God you might be in your walk or of maturity, that might be a little bit better way of putting it. It depends on 
the context, I guess. But however mature you are in God will walk according to that level of maturity. You know what I mean? So let's take it back to public schools, okay? But say you're a sophomore in high school. Well, that doesn't mean that you're going to, you know, at one o'clock in the afternoon after lunch or whatever lunch is, I don't know what the schedules are like, you cut loose and, and jog back over to your elementary school and sit down in your old fifth grade classroom. Like, you passed that five grades ago. Why would you go back to thinking like a fifth grader, acting like a fifth grader, and pretending to operate on a fifth grade level? It's the same way in God. Some Christians try to regress, and that is really the wrong move to make. Paul talks about it in another letter when he, when he, when he mentions, he uses this phrasing here. He says, when I was a child, I thought as a child. You've read this. We've probably all of us have read it. If you've ever read the New Testament, you would remember this line. It's like, when I was a child, I thought as a child. I reasoned as a child, etc. Behaved as a child. And some other, I'm paraphrasing at this point. But then he says this. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Ooh. But that goes against, that goes against our modern culture's extended adolescence that they keep pushing on us, especially by way of the universities and the colleges. You know? I mean, I'm supposed to mature, become an adult and reason as a spiritual adult. I'm supposed to become, you know, well, I thought that we were all supposed to be just like children. You know, Jesus said that. You know, we're all supposed to receive the faith and, you know, and, and pray with the simplicity of a child. It's like, well, yes, there's that, but we're not supposed to stay babes in Christ, are we? It's like you're not supposed to stay entry level at anything beyond what is appropriate for that. So he's talking about growth and maintaining our spiritual growth. So there's lots of different milestones in the Christian life, okay? And, it's not, and it doesn't all happen at the same time. So in that respect, it's not like the public schools where they just marched you along from grade to grade depending on your physical age. In Christ, it's not like that at all. It's your spiritual age. And some people age a lot faster. They mature a lot faster. Other people mature a lot more slowly. But again, neither is supposed to judge one another because a lot of times the ones that are lagging and that are more slow in their growth uh, they tend to reach a certain threshold and then they just explode. They shoot right up like the bamboo plant that was talked about. And I think it was a Facebook meme a little while ago that, you know, it spends its first five years completely invisible. It's not even above the soil for five years. It doesn't even appear above the ground. But in that fifth year, it just blasts out of the ground and grows at some ridiculous rate. Like you can almost hear it growing at night. I mean, it's that fast. It, it grows like several inches per, what is it, five feet in a year? So there, some Christians are like that. They spring up fast or they spring up slow or they just, it seems like nothing's really happening in their life. And you're wondering, like, my goodness, is, is there any change at all in this guy? It's just a couple of things that are maybe different from when he was a sinner. But, but then it, at some point, something clicks, something happens, and then they're just pow. And you marvel at the changes in their life and the things that they begin doing for God and the things that they least that they stop doing because they're they're wrong or they're harmful or they're destructive or they're they're uh, just, um, they're harmful to the spiritual life. He says here, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. And so it's important. It's important for the Christian to grow to a certain level as soon as they can. 
That's another reason why we push Bible studies so much, because it's in the Bible studies that we get into the doctrine of this stuff, and it really informs us much more so than just in the preaching. Okay, So it's important, and it's important for all of us. It's important to grow to a certain baseline uh, level of Christian maturity as fast as we can. And then uh, it's like covering some of the basics. And then individual growth from there. But again, it's a different rate for different people. So let's move on. Next paragraph begins in verse 17. He says, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. And the word ensample is just old English. It basically means example. So be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an, for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. What is he saying here? This isn't even the whole paragraph. Let's go through to the end of the paragraph. For our conversation, and when he says conversation, it means an entire manner of life, not just the words of our mouth. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the work whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now, that's a lot of Paul words there, isn't it? It's a lot of Paul vocabulary and sentence structure, like, whoa. What what did he just say? Well, all right, let's go back, slow it down, and pick it apart. Brethren, verse 17, be followers together of me. Well, that'll rub some people wrong right off the bat. So this is Paul the Apostle. Is he telling telling people to follow him? Well, that sounds kind of conceited. Well, no, not really, because it's all in the motive of the speaker, and it's all in the attitude of the speaker. He's saying to be followers together of him. But he was saying, be followers together of me, not because he was proud, not because he was at all lifted up in himself, but because he knew in his humility that he was actually living life. And so he didn't mind putting himself out in front of them as an example to follow. And when a mother or father is raising a child, they're putting themselves forth as an example, either deliberately or not deliberately, okay? And sometimes that example is good or bad in the case of natural parents and natural children. They're putting themselves out there as as an example for their kid to follow because their kid is still a kid, has not grown and matured uh, up to a certain level to where they can uh, safely follow someone else as well. Okay, It's much the same way in the spirit. Paul, reaching out to this church in Philippi, putting himself out there as a natural example of someone that could be audibly heard, visibly seen. Here is a person walking around on the earth today that I can count as an example of the Christian life and entrust to model my life after seeing his life modeling and being an example of the word of God. He was putting himself out there as an example to be followed. Now, all ministers are supposed to be examples of the gospel, examples of the Christian life. We have to be. Because we need sometimes someone that we can see because we read a lot of times, but sometimes what we're reading, it doesn't really gel an image in our mind. It's hard to picture it. And so we have natural examples of people that have dedicated themselves to living the Christian life that serve as an example to all of us. That's a good way to live and actually see exemplified in this person's life 
the way that it's described in the word, the way that I ought to be. And so that kind of, that gives me a visual to go with the text. And you sort of put the two together and you're like, all right, well, I want to be like that. Or I want to do like that. And it gives us something to work with. Paul was putting himself forth as that example here in verse 17. Be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. That's what he was saying there. You see somebody who's actually living the Christian life and then they really are, their life is backing up their talk. And their talk is backing up their talk too because the Christian life removes certain things from our vocabulary and from our manner of speech, doesn't it? Christians don't curse. Christians don't lie. Christians don't gossip. Christians don't blaspheme. Those are all sins of speech that reveal something much darker that are, that's extant in the heart, that's existing in the heart. It should not be there. And so you see somebody that's got all that cleaned up and they, you know, they got these other aspects of their life already cleaned up by the grace of God, really by the power of God. They serve as an example to us. Be very careful who you let be an example for you. Be careful who you set up in your mind and in your heart as as a, as a role model of faith and as a role model of a walk with God. Because Jesus even said it back in the Gospels. He said, not everybody that cries, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody that, that, that has the word Christian stamped into their dog tag is actually a Christian. And not even everybody that says that, well, I'm a minister, I'm a minister so-and-so. Well, they might be, and they might be living the life, but a lot of them are not. And so be careful. So, well, who, who should I pick as an example in this life? Well, we got the word. You're already coming to this church, so you must trust something going on here. So praise God for that. He says, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so, as you have us, as you have us for an example or example. And then he clarifies here, or he adds, I should say, in verse 18, he said, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So what does he mean by that? Well, there's a lot of people that claim the Christian name. There's a lot of people that claim the name of Christ and that even attend a church, but you you watch the way they live. And their life, their life really does betray exactly who they are really disciples of. This is no small matter. Talk is cheap. Anybody can say, I'm a Christian. Anybody can claim a name. But you've got to watch the life. You've got to watch the life. Be generous, but there are some things that are just glaring, and they really do reveal the character of a person, a character of a person, and, and what they really count as important, and, and whether or not they take Christianity seriously, whether or not they take the Word of God seriously, and, and, and do exactly what they're doing. He says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and even now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. That just means that they're ruled by their natural appetites, whether it's an appetite for food or an appetite for you just name it, okay? It's, it's just, they've got natural appetites that rule them. There's nothing spiritual about them. And whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Now he goes on in verse 20. For our conversation, and again, you could, you could, you could substitute that word for this phrase, manner of life, okay? For our conversation is in heaven, from whence we also, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What's that mean? We're looking for His return. 
We're looking for his return to call us home. And we're looking for him to be manifest in our own lives. Because that's the real marker of Christian growth, isn't it? Christ in you, your hope of glory. That's Paul too. Christ in you. Christ in your character. Christ in your behavior. Christ in your speech. St. Patrick put it hundreds of years ago. Christ before me, Christ behind me. Christ above me, Christ beneath me. Christ beside me. Christ when I stand up. Christ when I sit down. Christ when I lay down. Christ in the eyes of every man that sees me. Christ in the ears of everyone that hears me. I might have got the order of some of that mixed up. But he said all of that in that long litany. That gives you an idea. The priority that we really need to have. Christ in me. I want that character. I want his character, his his manner of life, his character, his behavior, his righteousness. All that he was, I want that in me. What else does Christian mean? But Christ-like. That doesn't mean we grow our hair long out to here, men, you know, and... And, and put on a sad, soft, effeminate expression on her face like we saw in the paintings. <laughs> Something wrong with him? Is he having a seizure? Like, no. It doesn't mean, you know, dress like he dressed, you know, with a robe and sandals. You can do that, but everybody's going to think you're weird. It means having his character as your character. The ultimate role model. Whether you're old or young, people still have role models, Okay. You want the ultimate one? There he is. He's right back there in the Gospels. He's right back there. Go back to the Gospel of Matthew. Go go to all four of them. Read them again. Read what he did and the scenarios in which he did them. Read what he said and what he taught. Appropriate that. Make it part of who you are. Okay? So what if it has something to do with, what if it's just the law of Moses then? Well, you know, take it in its historical context. All right? So let's move on. Our conversation is is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. So what's that mean? Does he mean that my, my, my body is vile? Well, it doesn't mean that your, your body's disgusting. It means that it's a reminder that our bodies are not saved. When a man or a woman gets saved, gets right with God, it's your spirit and your soul that are converted, Right? That's what's transformed from the kingdom of darkness to light. But your body is still the dumb dog that will chase every rabbit if you let it. And I never get tired of that metaphor. Maybe everybody else does, but I don't. So so you must not either. I'll just wear it out. How's that? That works. But the flesh doesn't get saved. The flesh doesn't get born again when a person is born again. It's the spirit and the soul. It's the inner man, the inner woman that is changed at the moment of belief and acceptance and conversion, okay? The flesh is still just the flesh that wants what it wants. It does not care for either righteousness or unrighteousness. It just cares for what it wants. That's why it's hard to get it up in the morning. It just wants to sleep and be a lazy dog. And Sometimes it's hard to put it to bed at night because it wants to run to excess of riot and do stupid and destructive things. And, and it has appetites that have no regard for their rightness or wrongness. It just wants what it wants. It wants to maximize comfort and pleasure and it wants to minimize discomfort and pain, hardship, because it's disagreeable to the flesh, even though in fact, you know, things like exercise and hard work and stuff like that, the flesh will thrive on that in a good way. And you can actually, he says, when he says vile body, he's talking about it being within 
It's talking about the sin nature that still tries to drive the flesh, but no longer has a grip on the spirit and the soul. Does that make sense? Man or woman gets right with God. They get saved. They're born again. They become a Christian. Okay, all those different phrases refer to the same singular event when a sinner ceases to be a sinner and becomes a child of God. Okay, they become a saint. All right. Their spirit and their body, excuse me, their spirit and soul are freed from the, from the driving imperatives of sin and wickedness and all of that. The spirit and soul are changed. The body's still the body. But one day, it won't be just the body. Now, we've talked a lot, I think, a lot recently about the resurrection, haven't we? We've talked about that lately, about how, and the Bible talks about this in numerous places, okay? Christ will come again at the, at the sound of the last trumpet. Well, the, he, he will come again in the air and the sound of the last trumpet. The dead in Christ shall rise. So that's Christians that have been, you know, the last 2,000 years worth Christians, plus all the saints that went before, okay? They, we will be resurrected in a glorified physical body that sin has absolutely no control or handle over. None whatsoever. And so you, so well, what am I going to look like? Because that raises all kinds of questions, right? It's like, oh man, am I going to be old? You know, am I going to be, what if I die at the age of 90? Am I going to be resurrected in a 90 year old looking body and all frail and busted looking and, you know, busted feeling probably more than looking and all that? It's like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't imagine so. I imagine, and I'm just taking some, I'm just taking some license with this. Okay, so don't take this as absolute rock solid gospel, but I imagine that when we are, when we rise again, that we'll be raised in like our optimal physical state. Okay. So like you choose, you choose the age. I don't know. Whatever was, was your prime year, you know, kind of like that, you know, so, but we'll rise again. And it's that point. That's what he's talking about here in verse 21. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. When Jesus rose again from the grave, and then was glorified. And that came along after the fact. And you certainly read about it. So what does it look like now? We'll go over to the Revelation and read about it. Go over to the first four or five chapters of the Revelation and find the description of what Jesus Christ looks like now. And it's, 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 it's completely changed. It's absolutely stunning. So it would be almost impossible to look upon, if not impossible to look upon, in our natural bodies right now. Typically what happens is a person falls down dead. That's how it's described in scripture. And then the Lord has to like raise you up again because you died because you beheld the glory of God in a, in a natural fallen body that hasn't been glorified yet. So this is the promise that we're going to be changed to, that we're going to be like him. So when we rise again, so we're, not, what, we're not going to be floating around on clouds with angels' wings and with palm branches and harps. No, you put that, put that cartoon vision of, of heaven out of your mind. It's largely fiction, if not entirely fiction. And you know, frame your understanding of these things from the scripture itself. We're going to be like him one day. We're going to be bright and shining and glorious and immortal and indestructible and, and not subject to the ravages of age or of injury or of sickness or any of the things that can lay us low. Remember when I was banging on like without end about that flu that I caught a few months ago because it was such an unusual thing? that I, I don't think I'd ever had the full-blown flu before, but man, I had it. You're never going to have that again. Hallelujah. 
You're never going to have that again. You're never going to have a broken bone again. You're never going to be fatigued, you know, or diseased. None of that. That's going to be gone, man. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Jesus has the power to make it happen. It's like, well, well, I'm not sure I, I, I'm not sure I believe that. Well, why not? It's not up to us. He's got the power and God's got the plan. So what do we even need to fret about? It's out of our control. What is within our control is what he was saying in the early chapters here. Therefore, as many as be perfect, and that means complete, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Whatever place you're at right now, if you're a born-again believer, your, your sins are repented of, and, and you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's wrought that change in you, and you are now a child of God. Grow. And to whatever degree you have already grown, don't go backwards. Don't regress. Don't backpedal in this thing. Keep going forward. Keep going forward. Hey, it came out in a message a few weeks ago. Uh, I, I'm tempted to say almost quite by accident, but I'll just we'll give God the, the glory for it, okay? Deeper roots, higher branches, and better fruit. That's the Christian life, what we should all be aspiring to. Deeper roots, a deeper rock, a deeper walk with God, higher branches, reaching out even further towards God, reaching out more to God, trusting more on God, taking more of the light of God in, and better fruit. That's the product of your life. Better fruit benefits everyone, makes the whole body of Christ that much stronger. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash giving